as soon as I realized it was me, I was like, <gasps> like I got so terrified, just like, <sighs> like struck with this fear. And I was like, ah, <laughs> what's going on? Am I dead? And then as soon as I started to think, am I dead? Like three, it felt like three dull butter knives being pierced through my heart, just like. And I was like, oh, I was like, what's going on here? And and I was like, this is too much. I'm dying right now. Like this pain is too much. And I wanted to leave my body. Mm. And right when my like energy was about to leave my body, like right in the center of my forehead, I saw this this rosebud that just blossomed open and just continually kept blossoming. It was like thousands of petals just continually blossoming this angel or like this it looked like an angel it was this light being that had these wings came out it's like it's like breathe and I was like oh, what's going on am I yeah. dead and it's like no this is your addiction to heroin and opiates dying but it's the exact same thing that'll happen to you if you choose to use it willingly ever again welcome to the Blood Seekers podcast our podcast is intended to inspire people to discover their true purpose and follow their bliss we're on every major platform spotify apple Podcasts, youtube please make sure you like subscribe hit that notification bell thank you so much for tuning into our podcast and please enjoy the show so welcome back to the podcast today we have i believe the most special guest to date a dead desire is an independent alternative rock project from logan utah it was created in April of 2015. The concept of a dead desire came to him during an ayahuasca ceremony in California. He had attended the ceremony with intention of ridding himself of a 13-year dependency on opiates. During the ceremony, he witnessed his own death and saw his dead, decaying body. A spirit guide informed him he had witnessed the death of his addiction, but it was also the exact same thing that would happen to him if he chose to use heroin or opiates willingly ever again. Therefore, the desire to use heroin and opiates was completely dead, a.k.a. a dead desire. He is currently the sole member of a dead desire. He's a songwriter, a guitarist, a bassist, a keyboardist, a percussionist, and a vocalist, as well as a cinematographer, vi film editor, director, and producer. He has released a full-length album titled Resurrecting the Mind, a single titled The Vanity, as well as the cover song of The Arrhythmics, Here Comes the Rain Again. Uh, in 2017, A Dead Desire opened for the Rock Radio Convention and Awards in Las Vegas at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, which hosted artists and performances from Shallow Side, DED, All That Remains, Papa Roach, and Incubus. The Vanity, a single released in 2017, which contained a song called In My Mind, reached number eight on the top 20 of the BBC Radio 1 network and held its place for over three months alongside Eminem, Ed Sheeran, Post Malone, and Enrique Iglesias. Uh, Dead Desire released a cover song and music video, Here Comes the Rain Again by The Rhythmics, which attracted a lot of attention and allowed him to be endorsed by Dirtbag Closing and exposed to the press. His song, The Mantra, is also the theme song for our podcast here at The Bliss Seekers. Please help me welcome our very special guest, Moroni Silva. Welcome, Brother Bear. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you, man. Uh, it's it's been. I know we've actually. I met you back in June, right at my first ceremony, and oh, yeah. yeah, I still remember it was. Uh, you had performed the mantra, at, you know, in the around the fire, and I was just like, <laughs> man, this guy's got some some skills, right? Oh, thank you, brother. 
and, and I had asked you, I said, hey, man, can we use your song for, for, for our podcast? And you said, yeah. And I said, wow, that was awesome, right? So we really appreciate you, man. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. yeah, you told me about the song. I haven't even met you yet, but I was listening for it for like a few months. And then I came to the ceremony, and there you were. And you, you performed it around the fire as well, and I had my eyes closed. Hotsum was there. I was like... This is what it feels like live, you know? It was powerful. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So that song has touched all of us, and it's a very special song. And yeah. uh, But this is about you, right? And so we always like to start our podcast with getting to know the person, because I feel like when people get to know you, your story, where you come from, they can connect with you better. Oh, yeah. Right? So tell, I mean, tell us about, you know, about your story, like where you grew up. I know we talked about it. You're, you live in Utah right now. And yeah. So how did you guys end up in Utah? Were you born and raised there? Yeah, I was born in Logan, Utah, in a trailer where the uh, tool liquidator used to be. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's it's long gone now. It's like a, like a like a car sales lot. Okay. But, uh, I was born in Logan, and I was raised in uh, Bear Lake, Idaho. Okay. Um, for most of my life, um, got in a huge car accident in. Uh, my on my birthday and my freshman year in high school, which is what started the addiction to the opiates. Oh wow! Because I was in the hospital for about two months, then they sent me home with all these medications, and like six months afterwards, they were like, "Well, you don't need these anymore." And I was like, "Well, yeah, I do." Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But, those those are those are not no joke. Oh yeah, they're extremely addicting, and uh, yeah, like. Uh, it was really difficult um, because they they didn't let me finish my finals that year, freshman year. So uh, in order for me to graduate and not be a super senior, I had to move to Preston, Idaho, where they offered seven credits a day per semester instead of just five. Okay. And so I was able to um, graduate. I, was, I had to pass every single class, every single credit, and I did. Um, but I graduated and then... Um, from there, I moved to Logan, where I was born, and stayed there for a little bit, only about a year, until I applied to the conserv excuse me, the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences in Phoenix and Tempe, Arizona. Okay. And uh, so I graduated from there. That's where I learned how to do all the the post production work and the editing and the miking, just basically everything. Yeah. Um, so what made you decide to choose that major? Were you already into music? Or? Yeah, I was, I, I was already writing a few of my own songs, and I knew that they had recording studios on the property, so I, could, I was like, oh, I'm going to have an opportunity to record a few songs. Um, so, and, and on top of that, I was like, and, and if I don't make it in the music industry, I want to be, it, with my music, I want to be in the music industry. Gotcha. So I wanted to learn how to become a producer and learn how to just do everything. Uh, became Pro Tools certified and um, Smart SIA um, certified for live sound. I, I did a lot of stuff that was really beneficial. Um, <coughs> but uh, my internship kind of got messed up. They had scheduled me to ha work for a studio in Salt Lake. And when I had moved into my apartment and signed a lease and everything and I was supposed to check in, um, I called and they're like, oh, I thought someone told you, but the owner's son had a friend who he gave the internship to. Oh, wow. And so I had just signed a lease and I, was, I called the school. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you guys. They're like, nah, this, 
you know, normally our internships, they get upheld. <laughs> My gosh. So I had to scramble to find something that I could do <laughs> to get my internship. And in Salt Lake, they found this rundown dollar theater where I was able to get a job as an usher, be the projectionist and splicing old reels of film. Oh, really? Tape. And <laughs> so I did an internship there and I was able to graduate <laughs> that, not even expecting to do the film thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I, I ended up passing and I, I graduated from that. Um, and, uh, that was 2007 when I started that. Uh, okay. And then ever since then, I've, I've always taken that knowledge with the, with learning how to record. And I had a Roland VS 2400 multi-track automated little recording studio that I had bought. In. And, uh, I recorded a whole bunch of my own stuff, <laughs> a whole yeah. bunch of songs of my own stuff. And, uh, I, I ended up, uh, you know, getting into, um, I, I got into a relationship when I was in Salt Lake, and that's kind of where everything took a turn in my life. Okay. Which was where... Uh, a turn for the worse or a turn for yeah, the better? Yeah, a turn for the worse. Uh, okay. I was facing life plus 30 years in prison from oh. falsified charges from West Valley City Police Department. Oh, they wow. had uh, charged me with seven felonies and five misdemeanors on a domestic violence call. And so... My uh, ex-fiance had ran into the room and picked up my son, who was only five months old at the time, and came running outside and went outside with him. He was only wearing a onesie. He didn't have a blanket on or a coat or anything. He has asthma, and it's in the middle of February. It's like I ran outside, and she was in the parking lot, and I was begging her, just please go and put a coat on him. Then you can you know, come back outside, but he doesn't have anything. He's got asthma. You need to like... Yeah come on like reason with me here and then the police showed up she's across the parking lot and she we were we were both uh i had a prescription for oxycodone and um klonopin mm-hmm. and i had been i had had two tall boys that night and uh i had uh i had been smoking cannabis and i'd had i had taken the oxycodone but she had been drinking, smoking, and taking not only the oxycodone but the clonopin, which is you're not supposed to do. What is that, by the way? It's like a benzodiazepine. It's like in the same category as like Ativan and Xanax. And, mm. um, but anyway, uh, I had taken all these things away from her, and they were in my pocket when the police showed up. And mm-hmm. so they searched me, and they found all all the drugs on they me. They found the stash on you. Yeah, I was about to become. Uh, the head um, paralegal for the reinstate department at Par- uh, Lexington Law Firm. Wow, how ironic, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was. You from being the head paralegal to the head fugitive, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was pretty. It was pretty uh, unfortunate that the what happened, but uh, yeah. So I was facing. Um, I had this really bad incident with the police where they had put the the handcuffs on too tight yeah and uh they didn't lock them and i when they put me in the back seat of the cop car i landed i was like 330 pounds at the time Mm -hmm. and all my weight landed on the handcuffs and started digging into my skin i could feel them cutting my skin i told them like uh, well i tried repositioning myself and i had put my foot on the window and when i pushed it like popped out of the the car door 
Oh, wow. And they're like, oh, this son of a, you know, and they like open the door and they grab me That's and a... they just pull me out really fast. Like they just hurried up and used their weight. And I felt like, like, so bam onto the ground. Oh my gosh. And then I was like, what the crap? And they stood me up and, uh, in order to loosen the handcuffs, you have to click it yeah. one time. And so when they clicked so it, I, 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 like, I like flinched. And they're like, oh, he's resisting. And they threw me on the ground. Five cops put their knees on my back. And one of them put their foot on my face with their boot. My God. And they twisted his heel. He's like, don't move. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Like, uh, I didn't do anything. You guys didn't, you guys didn't lock the handcuffs. Like, I'm not resisting. You guys are, like, totally abusing your power right now. Right. That never happens, And right? they... Yeah. Yeah, and they stood me up, and they uh, they threw me into the back of another cop car, and this time I was pissed. Like, and so I was on uh, my back in the back of the cop car, and I reared up with all my weight and kicked as hard as I could, and I knocked the cop car door off the hinges. And wow! That's when that's when they yanked me out, and they hogtied me, and they threw me in the back of an ambulance, and the the officer's last name, I don't know his first name, it was S, was the initial, but his last name was Bias. <laughs> wow. Which is like, it sounds like a universal, universal joke, and I'm like the punchline. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, we get in the back of the ambulance, and right where I have degenerative disc disease on my L4 and L5, he puts his knee on there and he digs in, and he spits on my face, and he calls me a spick. And wow. I was like, he's like, I hope you die, you and spick and i was like you can't treat me like this right. he's like watch me and after he had spit on me he put the spit mask over me like a little it's like a little nylon screen net mask that they put on you okay and uh they forced me to go to the hospital and they had me handcuffed to a bed and they're like we need a urine sample and i was like well i'm not going to give you one like i don't give you consent to get a urine sample from me and they forced a catheter in me while oh i was gosh. awake instead wow. of and then after the, after they did the catheter, then they decided to give me their what they called vitamin H or the halidol or halidin, whatever it is that they give to knock people out. Mm-hmm. And as the after they had done that to me, um, and they gave me the shots as I was like fading out, I just heard the the cops say, "I'm just, I'm gonna nail this son of a with everything we can." Wow. And I woke up. It's. It's kind of humiliating. I woke up handcuffed to a rail in a hospital gown in the jail, urinating, like, because they ripped the catheter out of me. And, like, I woke up urinating uncontrollably and it hurt, like, really bad. And I, like, ended up zonking out because of the pain from that. And uh, I woke up in all red and they didn't put me in quarantine like they're supposed to. They're supposed to put you in quarantine and then GP. That was a general population, but they put me straight in Supermax, which is three Bravo, which is, it was terrible. Yeah. Like, I woke up, and I was like, where in the heck am I? And I, like, asked the guard, was like, who was walking by, I was like, why am I in here? Like, can you give me a list of my charges? And he just, like, glared at me, like, wow. like I was, like, a worthless human being. Mm-hmm. He brings me this piece of paper, and he slides it through the door, and on there, at the I see at the top, first degree felony, aggravated kidnapping, and I'm like what like her name's on the lease (laughs) she was across the parking lot when the police showed up my son's a newborn and he gets all of his mail to our address what am i gonna do send her to her room like i'm I'm not kidnapping anybody here they charged me with that they charged me with six third degree felonies two of them were damage to jail property which were the cop cars 
Um, they charge me a third-degree felony, domestic violence in the presence of a child. Um, third-degree felony, assault on a corrections officer. Third-degree felony for assault by a prisoner. Um, and then they went on to, like, the misdemeanors, which I don't even remember. What the one of them was, like, possession of a controlled substance. Another one was, like... Um, I don't even remember. Like it's, uh, they were they were just really small charges that didn't even none of like none of the stuff on that was real except for the domestic violence. Right. We did have a domestic dispute. We were arguing, but when they showed up, we were outside. She was across the parking lot. I wasn't kidnapping them. Yeah. <laughs> it's my family. Right. And uh, like it ended up being really. It, it, it was really traumatic because I didn't know what was going on on the outside. Right. But apparently my ex-fiance, like two days later after realizing that I had my wallet on me when I got arrested and that I, she didn't have a job and I was taking care of my newborn baby and her son and paying all the bills and I had my wallet. It's like, she's like, oh, I need to go to the jail and get him out. So. Oh, wow. She puts my son in a stroller in the middle of February in the middle of the day and and uh, walks three blocks down to the jail city blocks and goes in there and talks to the clerk she's like um my uh, fiance Moroni Silva is in here um we had an argument the other night and I said some things that weren't true is there any way that we can get him out and she's like honey do you do you realize what you did like he's you're not gonna see him for a very long time he's charged with these with these these charges. He's he's being charged with them. Wow. His my bail was two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash only. Oh so it was God. like, I was stuck there. I saw his face. I faced six months. I spent time at the ADC, which is worse than a federal prison. The mm. building was designed to be a federal prison, but the cells were too small, so uh-huh. they made it the Metropolitan Jail or the Adult Detention Complex. Uh-huh. And it was oh my gosh, it's terrible to talk about. Like yeah. it's like. But it like it, it molded me into who I, who I am really like the whole thing because, uh, you can't do anything as a felon when you get out and the only option that I had was my music or to become a producer or something in the music industry, and uh, I mean it, it, I started writing my own songs and really trying to give it my all uh, mm-hmm. right after like that whole thing I ended up. Um, they didn't give me a deal until pre-trial. Okay. Um, she got on the stand, and the stuff that she was saying was just, like, completely different and completely fabricated, completely different than was in the police report. She, like, the judge was sitting there looking through the pages as she's talking, like, is this the right case? Oh, wow. He looks at me, looks at her, and he puts his hand down like this, and he's like, Wow. And I was like, nice, the judge is on my side, you know? So that's he's like, good. ma'am, the court has heard just about enough out of you. Wow. And then he calls amazing. calls the prosecuting attorney up, and he calls my attorney up, and he's like, we need to dismiss the charges against this young man and get him out of jail and, and put her uh, arrest her for perjury. And wow. the prosecuting attorney's like, oh, no, Your Honor, we can't do that because she suffers from borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, uh, bipolar stage two with rapid cycling, man, and all this different stuff, and... And he's like, so you're telling me that that young gentleman has been in jail for the last five months off of something that she said, <laughs> you know, like the whole thing. And 
the prosecutor is like, well, we can't drop this case, Your Honor. It would, uh, we'd have a huge lawsuit or whatever on the state of Utah. So my, my attorney was also my attorney handling my DCFS case. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I ended up, um, <sighs> I, I talked to him about it. And they, so like during the little pretrial, they sent me into the room where I could talk to my attorney and he's like, you need to plead guilty to what they're going to offer you. And I was like, what are they going to offer me? And he's like, I'm going to fight to get you six months time served and get you out. Mm -hmm. But right now what they're on, the only thing they're offering you is to drop the first degree aggravated kidnapping down to second degree aggravated assault. You plead guilty to domestic violence in the presence of a child, assault by a prisoner, and um, damage to jail. And we'll drop all the other charges, and we'll give you six months' time served, and then you'll do three years of parole. And I was like, okay, I'm, well, I'll, I'll take it. Right. Do anything to get out, right? Yeah. Well, he, he, the reason why I took it is because he said that I've already been in jail for five months, and DCFS has a rule where at eight months they are going to give the child back to the parent that's out and able. Oh, and so she was out and available, but I wasn't. And so I was like, no, I do not want that because it would it would have been terrible for my son. Yeah. So I ended up pleading guilty, and uh, they ended up uh, giving me, they sentenced me to 30 years in prison, um, suspended upon su- successful completion of uh, three years of probation and parole, and... Um, they gave me six months time served and I had to complete like 12 classes and pay a fine of like $5,000 and it was this huge, huge deal. Um, and it sucked because like when I got my pre, my PSI, my pre-sentence investigation report back, I didn't get it until the 32nd day after I pled guilty. And when I read it, it said that they reached out to officer S bias but they couldn't contact him for further questioning because he no longer worked for the West Valley City Police Department. Oh, my God. He got fired for falsifying charges for prostitution and selling drugs. So wow. if I would have known that, I could have appealed my case and had the whole thing dropped. Right. Wow. But it was 32 days. You know, it's like I was two days late. Yeah. So it was really shafted on the whole thing. But uh, I was able to get out. I got a job. In Logan, and within like two months, I became the manager of uh, of the the call floor, the the one of the teams, the the what was it called? Uh, um, uh, RNC. It was the RNC campaign at the uh, call assistant, and I was making over seven uh, over seventeen dollars an hour, <laughs> like, and I was proving to the court and my probation officer was like, hey, you know, like. Yeah. Get me off of this. So like at a, at a half a year, my probation officer is like, I'm going to send in a release to get you off probation. You don't need to be on for three years. And I was like, thank you. You know, he sent it in and the judge sent it back saying it's way too soon. I know he's doing really good, but wait at least a year. And so yeah. at the year they let me off probation and I was able to travel outside the state again and started doing my music again. But, uh, that's also when I, I, uh, when I got out, I still went back to my medications, the oxycodone, yeah, because uh, I had a dependency to it, and uh, my insurance ran out when I was 25, and so my bottles of oxycodone went from being like five bucks to ten bucks to being three hundred and thirty dollars for thirty, and I was like, "Jeez, 
yeah, there's no way I was going to do that. And uh, I started having withdrawals, and a buddy of mine was like, yeah, I have some opium if you want to smoke it. And I was like, I'm doing, I'm willing to do anything to not feel like this right now. So we smoked it, and I bought a gram from him for like 100 bucks. And uh, I was good for a while, but then I ran out, and the withdrawals were much worse than what I was feeling from the pills. And I went back to him, and I was like, hey, man, like, can I get some more of that opium? And he's like, opium. And I was like, what we were smoking. He's like, you mean the cheddar? And I was like, cheddar? And he's like, heroin. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, I guess. <laughs> so at that point, know his heroin. No, before. at that point, it had been like a month. And I was like, I've already been doing it, so might as well. You know, I don't want to feel like this. So, and that's how it's, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Like, Yeah, that's crazy that something that started from a car accident that you were given as a young kid by medical doctors... Oh, yeah. Cause this vicious spiral in your life with addiction and opiates, and then just having a, a friend or some acquaintance who basically just lied to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I was just a customer, and yeah. I and I don't I didn't know the guy for only like a year, like oh, wow. if that. Like I didn't really know him that long. Um, but at that point, I was just a steady regular customer. <laughs> But it, it was all just you just trying to get rid of this horrible feeling from the withdrawals. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I always, there's always like a stigma about like addicts and stuff. And I never, I never injected it. I couldn't stand needles, but I smoked it. I, I smoked it all the time. But uh, my withdrawals were terrible and I didn't want that stigma or like that. I didn't want anybody to know. Nobody knew that I was addicted to heroin and uh, did my best to conceal it. Um, Cause it's kind of embarrassing, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like there's a stigma to it. Like oh, anybody who's addicted to heroin or meth, they're like they're thieves. They're they're all this and they're all that. But I didn't want to even go down that route. Like I, what I would do is I would get like uh, a gram of it, um, and then I would split it into point one grams, and I'd make like a little little tiny dot, and each little point one I would sell for twenty bucks. So I'd sell half of it and I'd have a hundred bucks and I'd go and buy another gram and I would still have a half gram for myself. So I did, I did it that way. So I didn't have to steal or do anything yeah. shady or anything like that. It's still shady, yeah. you know, dealing heroin. Hey, but, you, you're a, <laughs> you know, you're a businessman. Yeah. I was like, I, I had to, and, and it, I wasn't trying to be business. I just wanted, I just didn't want to, to withdraw. I just, yeah, that's like, I wouldn't wish that kind of pain on, my worst enemy like that. It's like the most terrible thing I've ever been through. Yeah. So you were having withdrawals from the medication that you were getting from the car accident. Mm -hmm. Just slight withdrawals. though. it wasn't anything compared to like heroin withdrawal. Like so, heroin withdrawal was like, oh, like cold and hot flashes with delirium tremors where you like shake uncontrollably and everywhere in your body where you've ever had an injury or you've bruised or broken a bone, it just completely aches. It like swells up. It like, I know I always thought whenever I heard any of the, 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 the addicts that I used to talk, talk to or hang around that whenever they were like, Oh man, I'm in pain. I, I just need it. You know, I was like, no, whatever. But then, like, after two or three days, you really do start feeling, like, excruciating pain. Like, you're, it, it's, it's, a, all the, 
we naturally produce an opiate in our systems mm-hmm. that help us cope with pain whenever you bump your elbow. Oh, like these um, chemicals get released to help you cope with that. When you are taking heroin or something that's like an extreme amount of it, after 21 days, your brain's like, oh, we no longer need to produce this because we're getting a steadily supply. We don't need it anymore. So when you stop after that 21 days, your body, as your body is processing and getting out of all the drug out of your system, it still needs that opiate, that natural opiate. And it's like, uh, and so your body's no longer producing it. So when you're not, you don't have anything, you are just suffering. Like, mm-hmm. So you basically I, have, your, your body doesn't have anything naturally <laughs> to deal with pain anymore. Yeah, it doesn't cope with you need that to to help so it depletes you of your own natural ability to cope with pain do you know if there's any anything that could help with the withdrawals at all besides taking heroin again have you guys Um, done anything the only thing so i had withdrawals from gabapentin really bad after um in 2018 when i got in that head-on collision in washington um i i told them when I got there, I was like, I don't want any opiates. Um, but they gave me opiates anyway. Yeah, and that's all they do is prescribe medication. Yeah, for the first seven days, I didn't really... I was in like a near-death experience vision, and I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on here. I was like fighting for my life. I'm like, the other stuff that was going on, it's so hard to try to explain. But I came to on the seventh night at midnight, and I remember looking at the clock and being like, whoa. Oh, and I looked at the board and I was like, Moroni Silva, and right underneath it, every three hours, ten milligrams of oxycodone. And I was like, What? I the? grabbed my freaking hospital mug that was filled with ice and water, and I threw it, and it shattered all over the wall. And I was like, What the? F-? I was like yeah. screaming, and the nurse came running in the room, like, What's going on? And I was like, Who the hell? Like, yeah. I was so mad. I had a, my arm was in a cast, and like my, I had a brace on my leg because i had a compound fracture in my femur and i was trying to get up out of the bed i was so mad but um i ended up coming off of that as soon as i found out that i was on it i stopped taking it for a day but then i went into shock yeah and my mom i don't know if they had called her if all of a sudden i was just on the phone with my mom she's like you need to take this this isn't willingly you have to otherwise you're not gonna you're gonna go into shock and your body's not gonna allow yourself to heal She's like, this is different, son. You need to take this so you can heal. It's not like you're relapsing. This is for for you. So you're basically like, the doctors convinced her yeah. that's, what, that's what you needed to do. And uh, so I started taking it, but I stopped taking it as frequently. I told them, like, hey, I was an opiate addict, and I don't want this. Like, the, the cannabis is legal in the state of Washington. I just want cannabis. And they're, um, we ended up debating about it for a little bit, but then, like, over up until the 20th day that I was taking them, I had, I had weaned down that period of that window. Mm-hmm. And I, on the 21st day, I was like, Hey, I don't want any more of that. And the doctors came in the room, like three different doctors came in the room to try to convince me to stay on the opiates. And I was like, no, like you, you can increase my gabapentin and you can help me get cannabis. And they're like, well, we're a federally funded hospital. Oh, and man, where, that makes sense. where cannabis is federally illegal, if we were to administer it, recommend it, or prescribe it, we could lose our funding. And I was like, well, I'm telling you that I was a heroin addict, 
and I am extremely sensitive to opiates, and if I continue to take them willingly, then I will die. Mm-hmm. And and they were like, they went and they talked, and they came back, and they're like, okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna allow you to use cannabis. Um, you can have a friend or a family member bring it into you, and then you can go outside and use it. Um, but uh, we're not recommending it. Um, just so you know, just so you're aware. Uh, yeah. But we're gonna let this happen. Uh, we're gonna allow you to do this, and we're gonna increase your gabapentin. Um, what is gabapentin? It's it's neurotin gabapentin. It's a it's a nerve damage pill. It helps with nerve pain and, mm-hmm. and nerve damage. So you had a lot of nerve damage from the accident. Yeah. Well, the se- is this the second accident now? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they they had said the second one that uh, I would never use my right arm again like normal, and that I had nerve damage in my right arm, mm-hmm. um, and that I would never walk again. I would be in the wheelchair. Wow. And that's the, um, the arm you play the guitar with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You can see it's like from right here, all the way to right there. Wow. So yeah, like this it. whole thing right here is metal. There's like a metal plate and like. 16 screws or something like that in my arm wow but uh i got their little thing and i pushed through all those exercises like it had said i i I pushed through all the exercises like it had said on those paper on the paperwork that they had given me but when i got out i was like i don't need the guy with patent anymore so i stopped and then three days later it hit me like a heroin withdrawal but it was much worse than heroin it was like this time it was like the exact same thing as heroin, but added were suicidal thoughts that I could not control. Wow. Um, and the f- sensation of my heart caving in and like imploding my and God. not being able to stop crying. Like it was just, it was brutal. Like it was, it was excruciating. And they took me into the emergency room at the Instacare and they're like, well, they took me to Instacare and then they told me the Instacare. I was like, you need to take him to the hospital. Like, this is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. And so my dad took me to the hospital and he thought I was on something else. And I was like, I promise you, I'll do a drug test for you right now when we get to the hospital. <laughs> I'm yeah. just, I, I was like, I'm pretty sure this is withdrawal. <laughs> I was like, I've, yeah. I've had withdrawals before and I haven't taken my gabapentin for three days. And so I went in and yeah i was having withdrawals and the guy the nurse was looking up stuff up on google and he ended up giving me ativan (coughs) to try to calm my anxiety but i looked it up and anybody who's going through gabapentin withdrawal if you give them ativan it can kill them (laughs) i was like that's not very smart jesus so the nurse at the hospital gave you something that could potentially kill you and they actually have to google it yeah they googled it first it's like well you didn't google a few more things to see if that would have a chemical reaction or possibly kill me yeah or what about your training like maybe that's what you went to school for (laughs) like you shouldn't kill your patients because you know what to do you know yeah exactly that's your job (laughs) and so uh I went home and I, I researched it and I ended up getting a razor and cutting. Um, I was taking 1,200 milligrams of gabapentin every six hours. So it was like 36 milligram, uh, no, 36, yeah, 3,600 milligrams a day, which is a lot of gabapentin. Sounds like it. And so with the pills that I was taking, I ended up cutting off like a quarter of one of them and then taking like one and three quarters. And I did that for two or three days. And then I cut it down to one and a half and then I did that for three days. Then I did it to one and a quarter and I did that for three or four days. 
all the way until I was down to just a quarter pill. <clears throat> and that's how the best way to fight the withdrawal um, is to d- just taper down as much as possible. And and once you're able, once you're down to taking just a very little, just stop. Like, and it's gonna be brutal for like at least five to six days. But after that, the withdrawals they'll they'll start they'll stop being as as intense. You'll your body will start producing more chemicals to help you balance yourself. And I mean, it's, it's extremely painful. How did you stay strong um, with, uh, after the gabapentin? Oh, after the gabapentin, um, well, just, just tapering off like that at the quarter, like at a quarter of a pill, I, I, I just stopped um, after but three or four days. And then that was amazing though. Cause you kind of, like it seems like your whole life you've been very resourceful with all these adversities that have happened to you. Like, like you said, when you were, when you were doing heroin, you said, I'm not going to steal and rob. I'm going to figure out how to be able to afford this and get this, but not have to do it in a bad way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then now, you know, you're, you're addicted to this new substance that was given to you by a hospital, a federally funded hospital by the way yeah <laughs> like the government right um and so a federally funded hospital was pumping you with this what was it again gabapentin gabapentin and now you have this new addiction to a new you know opiate or a substance and so you're like well no one's really going to help me so let me figure out how to help myself oh yeah wow that's amazing a good job on standing your ground too oh yeah yeah they were they weren't too happy when i was like hey i'm not taking your opiates i'm not they were like for some reason they like got two other doctors to come in the room and be like hey you need to be on this it's like actually i don't (laughs) like i know what i'm talking about (laughs) but yeah it's crazy i mean it's crazy to think about that because how many other people in this country or in, in the world out there are getting the same information by doctors and they're just taking it and taking it and taking it, but they don't have the experience and the know-how that you had to be able to get yourself off of it. Now they're stuck to it, addicted and probably will end up dying from it. Oh yeah. Well, it's like when I was in the hospital, they came up to me and these doctors, they're like, you have right, you have nerve damage in your right arm. You're never going to be able to play the guitar. You're never going to be able to extend your arm all the way. Wow. And so when they gave me the physical therapy things that I like were, I was healed enough that I needed to start moving my arm. I did everything that it said, and I, I would squeeze as hard as I could right here and flex, and just keep on pushing that pain down. But I would, I so I'm a, a Reiki master, so I was doing Reiki on myself. I was doing Ho'oponopono, which is the Hawaiian healing modality where you say "I love you," "I'm sorry," "Please forgive me," "Thank you." I've heard about and, that. And there's before. a lot yeah. that goes into it. Just saying that for every conscious thought, we have millions of subconscious thoughts. So by you consciously saying that to yourself, like "I love you," and Ho'oponopono is 100% responsibility for everything that you attract into your circumstance. Yeah. So you say "I love you," and by saying these things in this order, you're saying to your subconscious "I love you." I'm sorry for attracting this circumstance that we're going through right now could you please forgiving please forgive me for allowing this to happen and thank you like mm-hmm. you're thanking your subconscious child for being a part of you mm-hmm. and so i was doing ho'oponopono i was doing reiki on myself i was doing meditation i was doing visualization i uh was wheeling myself out in my wheelchair on the corner where there was a patch of grass and i was digging my feet into the ground um, so connecting with the earth grounding out yeah and i i was 
um, doing the 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 chants of the the so instead of like A E I O U, you do the soft sounds I A O U. So it's like a you just continue doing that yeah it sounds and, like a like a chakra chant or something. yeah it, it goes through all those different notes and frequencies and as i was doing that i was trying to do the symmetrical stretches where i was like trying to mimic like and i was able to finally while chanting and focusing with the intention of sending that vibration to where I needed it to heal, what, where I needed it to heal, I was able to like extend my arms all the way. And uh, I ended up um, healing so fast to the point that uh, the doctors, they wanted to discharge me. Uh, at a month and a half, I was bearing weight on my leg. Wow. Uh, on crutches. And they wanted to discharge me with my guitar, my laptop, um, my crutches, a wheelchair, and they wanted to send me to a homeless shelter. <laughs> like, okay. They're like, uh, they, there was a specific name, word for it that they said, we can't have you. Oh, man, it was a funny word. Of, uh, the word basically they, means just sitting here healing. They can't <laughs> have you showing other people that you can heal yourself. Yeah, right? and so... Yeah. They, they, I, I was healing to the point where the skilled nursing facilities that they were requesting for me every week, I know at the beginning of the next week, I no longer needed those services. I was able to transfer by myself. I was able to now use the bathroom. I was able to do all these things all by myself. And so after a month and a half of them trying to get me into a skilled nursing facility, they were like, we're just going to discharge you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. They're like, we can't make money off you anymore. Yeah. And so I ended up moving uh, all my stuff out of the from the hospital into my buddy Piper's place um, for a few days. And uh, I ended up only staying there for a few days and getting a hotel at a place called Crosslands Tacoma. I think they changed the pl- the name of the place since I've been there. But um, they put me in room number 33 <laughs> on okay. the first floor. And uh, I was what right is, next to the laundromat. What is 33? Does that mean something to you? Huge. <laughs> what does it mean? There's a lot of, yeah, that's like, it has to deal with the Illuminati and like the, well, not just the Illuminati. I shouldn't have started with that one. I should have started with the Masonic Guild because there, there's 33 levels of the, there's 33 is the Grandmaster Mason or whatever. Um, But Christ was 33 years old when he was crucified. There's 33 uh, vertebrae in our spine. There's 33 gods in the Vedic text. There's 33 is a huge huge number for all That's life weird because when i played baseball my number was 33 oh no way yeah i had no idea <laughs> i sucked at baseball but my number was 33 so hey my life number is six so three plus three is six there you go right Heck yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i wanted to ask you how did you get into spirituality um i uh i've, I've always been i kind of had a like a belief in god uh, i fell away um, from the Mormon church when I was a little, a little bit younger. But then, uh, when I was in jail, I started reading, I read the book of Mormon and the Bible and everything that I read in the Bible and the book of Mormon, there's a lot of stuff in there. It's really profound. When I was reading it, there's like this burning sensation, like, whoa, this is intense. Mm -hmm. So you found Um, some truth there somehow. Oh yeah. 
Is that the and, LDS uh, church? Yeah. The, okay. But so this is what's weird. So my first ayahuasca ceremony um, really blew my mind. I, uh, it like I was prompted in my first ceremony to get the Melchizedek priesthood, uh, which is really it's really weird the way it started. So so what's the Melchizedek priesthood? Melchizedek was um, uh, a, a guy of high standing in the Old Testament, where okay. Abraham was in the desert and they came across Melchizedek and he actually praised him, and that's where the tithing started. Is Ten percent. They gave ten percent to Melchizedek for mm. everything that he had done. Uh, I'm kind of vague on. It. I don't want to like, you know, say something. That's fine. That's, it doesn't. But yeah, it, yeah. It's it's like the Melchizedek priesthood. There's the Aaronic priesthood. The so it's Aaron was Moses's brother. So the Aaronic priesthood is the priesthood that Aaron held, and then the Melchizedek priesthood is like what Abraham and Melchizedek had the, mm. that they were able to pass down. And in this first ayahuasca ceremony, I guess I should just start. Well, how did you get into ayahuasca first? So I invited you. um, It was my old guitarist from the first band that I was ever in, The Ravens Reel, um, my buddy Omar. I was playing an open mic at the Royal for Neil Bliss of Royal, uh, Neil Middleton of the band Royal Bliss. Um, I was supposed to be performing for him because. really important individual in the music industry asked him to fly in and meet me and listen to me play. And so he did. And that's where he gave me my, uh, my producer's uh, phone number. That's how I got in contact and I recorded my first album, resurrecting the mind. Yeah. Um, but at that open mic, when all that stuff was happening, my buddy was there and he came out and he was like, Hey, I heard about what's going on. Um, He's like, I was going to see if you wanted to go to this spiritual retreat at the end of the month. And I was like, what kind of spiritual retreat? Mm-hmm. And he's like, an ayahuasca ceremony. I was like, I'm down. Like immediately. Yeah. I was like, I already know what it is. Like I've already yeah. seen it on Drugs Incorporated on Netflix. <laughs> I know what it's about. I know it can help with opiate addiction. Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, I'm all in. And so uh, I ended up praying about it. Cause I was really nervous, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I was the same way in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something to really put your heart and soul into like trying to figure out if it's something you want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I was praying and it was like, I was like, would it be best if I, if I stayed here and there was like nothing, I was like, would it be better for my spiritual growth if I went? And it was like, it's like fire in the chest. Like, okay, I guess I got to go. <laughs> and so... That's awesome that you can actually connect to the oh yeah. source like that. Yeah, that's like... Uh, yeah, I was given the Aaronic priesthood, and they like do the laying on of hands, and they give you with the Holy Ghost. Everyone's born with the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Um, but when they give you the priesthood and they, they give you the Holy Ghost, it's like... It's like a reinforcement. It's 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 really weird to try to explain this because I don't even sound like you know like. Yeah. So like who I know who, what I'm who gives about. you the Holy Ghost? The, the LDS Church or yeah. So okay. uh, and so I think there's other ways like like for instance, um, the laying on of hands. It's like the same thing as like Reiki. It's like yeah. It's like a a level of spirituality that's given to you. And when you get that spirit, that spirituality, you are more in tune with what's going on, and you have a higher sense of discernment of like. Yeah. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do that because it feels wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, it's like a heightened intuition, I guess, is like the high, the only way I could really explain it. But um, 
I was praying about it, and I finally got a hold of um, his brother, Gio, and I was like, so what do I got to do, man? And he's like, told me the diet, told me everything I needed to do, and I was, I was like, okay, I'm down. I'm so down. I did the 72-hour fast. Oh, you did 72 hours? 72 yeah. hours. They're like, they're like, we recommend for the best result, do 72-hour fast. You can do 48 hours, but for the best, it's 72, but it's a mandatory 24-hour fast. And so I... I wanted the most that I could get out of the ceremony. I did not want to be addicted to her. I didn't want to be addicted to yeah. opiates or heroin anymore. So I did everything that I could <laughs> to yeah. make it happen. That's smart though. Oh yeah. And uh, I went there and I guess I'll just tell you what happened. <laughs> I'll just yeah. tell you my whole first ayahuasca ceremony. Um, so what was this? What your first ceremony? April 25th, 2015. Oh, so it's been six years now. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so, I've been I've been to the this will be my thirty second ceremony this month. Wow. Yeah, next month will be thirty three. Oh wow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Thirty three. Yeah. <laughs> so something big's happening next oh, month. Oh yeah. yeah. Something huge is gonna happen yeah. next month. But uh, uh, so April April fifteenth, two thousand fifteen or sixteen. Uh, April twenty fifth, twenty fifteen. Twenty fifth. I don't know why I got twenty. Yeah. <laughs> April twenty fifth. Yeah. It's it's it was really crazy i remember pulling up to mount shasta and just feeling the energy because i hadn't eaten <laughs> like yeah three you're like for, sensitive to everything yeah right? and i pull up to the portal and it's like it feels like my heart is like blossoming like just like whoa this is so crazy was that the first time you ever fasted that long in your life oh no when i was in jail i, I fasted for seven oh, okay. days so you, you you had some experience fasting yeah yeah okay. yeah and uh this time i was like I was kind of exhausted and tired. I guess it was also from driving and stuff too. But we get to the portal and uh, Abuela Luna shows up and she's um, going around with and, and smudging the entire portal. And I remember like just feeling so much love. Just first getting there, I was like, man, this is going to be insane. And uh, I end up going to the... The fire Friday night and or like it's like the sun is setting and they're taking pictures um, around while we're around the campfire. Excuse me. And uh, I uh, remember looking over and Abuela Luna, she could tell that I hadn't eaten and she gives me a slice of orange. Oh, she's she gave like, me some food? She's like, you need to eat this, mijo. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I ate it and it was so good. I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, like uh, <laughs> when they showed me the pictures, like after that weekend, when I was eating that orange, like the picture had like 300 glowing orbs, like all over the place in that picture. It was like, that is, I've never seen a picture so like flooded with orbs. <laughs> it was like, that's so crazy. Um, was this before or after the ceremony? This was the night before the night ceremony. Before. Oh wow! Yeah, so and it was already surrounding. Yeah, you. and yeah. I was already feeling the medicine. Like it was so weird to try to explain. Like <laughs> it was intense. But um, so we took the medicine the next day. We did all the the exercises, and every ceremony is so different. Like mm. completely different from the last one. And the, my first one, we went for this nature walk around the entire property line. And she had, like, stopped and said, uh, find something that sticks out to you and hold it and and say a prayer for it. 
uh, and just meditate and, and be with yourself for a little bit. And so I had gone over and I had uh, Awa the Hamaika, you know how it's red? And there I was, love Hamaika. I love yeah. Awa the yeah. Hamaika. Wait, wait, <laughs> is this a drink? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hibiscus. Oh, hibiscus. I love that drink. Yeah. I have flowers in my backyard. Oh, no way. Yeah, I can make tea out of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was holding a cup of that, and, yeah. and I like kneeled down next to this dead tree that had fallen, and it had this moss growing on it. And I remember like touching the tree, and when I touched the tree, I could like feel pain. Wow! And it was like, like it was it had already fallen, but it was like it still had some sort of energy some in type it. And of I was life like, form still. yeah. And so I poured my awa the hamaika on it, and it looked like blood on, on the, the wood. And I was like, man, like. You know, like whatever I can do, I know I'll be more conscious from now on when it comes to plants. And you know, I was just like communicating and just like praying and meditating. I did everything that she said that I like as perfectly as possible. And uh, we take the medicine, and uh, I remember like sitting down and looking at the sun, and I was sitting on. Uh, I guess where it would be like the east side of the fire pit. Um, and I was staring at that cedar tree in the sun. And I remember getting this weird feeling starting to come over me. I was like, oh. So I closed my eyes. And right when I closed my eyes, I hear Abuela say, harmonica, harmonica. And she picks up the harmonica and she's like, but you know how like harmonica sounds it's like yeah. a beautiful not i doing a terrible job of mimicking that was amazing. That's that was pretty good, good. though <laughs> but she's doing that and as she's doing that i have my eyes closed and i see what looks like waves like like the sound is like hitting my eyelids and i can see like the sound waves and it starts to form into all these separate strains and strands. And I was like, man, what is that? And it started to look like jellyfish. And you know how like when the sunset is like a beautiful peach color where it's like got the, the blue, the green, and the orange hue to it? Mm-hmm. It looked like that. And I was like, man, if it's this beautiful with my eyes closed, I wonder what it looks like with my eyes open. And I like opened my eyes and like, you know how like when you're outside on a beautiful bright blue day and you close your eyes for 10 seconds and you open it and it's kind of like yeah, a weird color? Eyes, yeah, not yeah. adjusted yet. Yeah, yeah. It was like that, but like all these different colors that were like like I had never seen before. <laughs> it was vibrant, just like, just like, whoa. Like, And I remember saying, don't get distracted by the colors. So I said, you know, thank you. And I don't need this right now. And I looked across the fire pit and I saw this rock that was cut out and it had like a little cave in and I was looking at it and it looked like there was like, so it looked like this, like in like half of a demon's face. And it was like, Hey, come here. I was wow. like, ah, I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't need you. Like, you know, I, I greatly appreciate your presence, <laughs> but I'm not searching you right now. You know? And I was, uh, cause like a well Luna says, you know, like j- just thank them, you know, or whatever and say, Hey, you know, if you don't have a message for me or the group, you know, leave, leave us in peace. Yeah. And, What's in it for me? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, just kind of avoiding that. And I look down to my side and I see all these twigs and stuff and like the dirt and pine cones and stuff, but they looked like snakes. It looked like just a pit of snakes that were breeding. And I was just like, Whoa, like this really intense. 
energy and i was like yeah. uh so this is your first experience yeah ever. i was like i was like man this is insane yeah so i remember her saying to avoid the snakes so you know like, they're surrounding me <laughs> yeah so i was like looking at these snakes and i was like no i don't i don't need this right now you know i'm trying to find my spirit guide sorry you know yeah. and something's like over here is catching something something's like over here is like moving and it caught my attention so i look from the snakes over and I see the cedar tree walking. Like it, it was it, like the trunk of it had, it was like a tight skirt and the roots were just moving really slowly, but it was, it was walking. And I was like, <laughs> like what? And I was like, what the hell? As soon as I thought that the tree stopped and perked up and the wind picked up and it started to move and it looked over and, and it was like, Oh, Hey, come give me a hug. And it, like the arm, like the branches extended kind of like a Betty Boop cartoon. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, I'm going to give this tree a hug right now. Is that the same tree that was that was fallen? And the dead no, tree? no, 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 no. Okay, this is the tree that's like right next to the fire pit. I know that tree. Yeah. I love that Yeah, tree. that tree is beautiful. That's, yeah, that's that the tree. first one I saw. And then I was like, man, I want to give that tree a hug. And then right when I thought that, it, the wind picked up and it turned around and it was like, hey, he's here. Mm -hmm. And all the other trees were like, mm -hmm. and they all had their own personality. So it's like, kind of like each individual pit bull has their own characteristics and their own personality. Each individual cedar tree has its own. It was the weirdest thing. It was like, man, this is mind blowing right now. That was <laughs> a very, very strong connection you have. Oh yeah. It was insane. Like, uh, it was Man, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it, it's it's insane. It sounds like one of those like uh, like uh, cartoon movies, like um, Ice Age or something, like where like all of a sudden the trees become like life. Yeah, they're talking to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Like it, it uh, the Jungle it, Book or something. All the trees were like, "Hey, come here, come here!" And I was like, "There's too much going on right now." <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I remember looking down to my left and i was like oh my gosh and there was this dead body with its head right here and its feet laid out that way and i was like uh. yeah, <laughs> did you recognize who no not not right off the bat um and it was really weird because i remember i was like is anybody else seeing this and i turned around and i <laughs> as soon as i turned around there's this girl like 10 feet away from me and she's like <laughs> i'm like no one can see this dead body. This is for me. And I looked down. I was like, I had this slight thing. I was like, that might be me. And I was like, who is that? And I like leaned down. Like, and when I leaned down, I like saw my face. It was like gray and, and like, like, like no, lifeless. Yeah, lifeless. And it was decomposing and falling off my skull. My clothes were tattered and withered and covered with dirt. And I felt like I was part of the earth. Like I was eroding. Yeah. And I like, as soon as I realized it was me, I was like, <gasps> like I got so terrified, just like, <sighs> like struck with this fear. And I was like, ah, <laughs> what's going on? Am I dead? And then as soon as I started to think, am I dead? Like three dead, it felt like three dull butter knives being pierced through my heart. Just like, <sighs> and I was like, oh, I was like, what's going on here? And, and I was like, this is too much. I'm dying right now. Like, this pain is too much. And I wanted to leave my body. Mm. And right when my, like, energy was about to leave my body, like, right in the center of my forehead, I saw this, this rosebud that just <laughs> blossomed open and just continually kept blossoming. It was like, 
thousands of petals just continually blossoming. This angel, or like this, it looked like an angel. It was this light being that had these wings. Came out. It was like, it's like breathe. And I was like, what's going on? Am I dead? And it's like, no. This is your addiction to heroin and opiates dying, but it's the exact same thing that'll happen to you if you choose to use it willingly ever again. Wow. That was the spirit telling you? Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, this is insane. Like, it it was so (laughs) eye-opening. Like, I remember um, after, after seeing this dead body and feeling this, I started seeing the sacred geometry and it looked like a grid around everybody everyone has their own little grid and like their own little torah taurus uh, whatever that energy thing Aura. is that well so there's like a thing called i think it's like torah it's taurus or something like that it's like an energy field that it looks like a donut kind of mm. around everybody but it's like a aura. it's weird it's like there's the aura too but there's it's like it, it's it's like a it's if you look up man well, I'll have to look it up a little bit up, later, but them. it's like Taurus or something like that. It's like an energy vortex where like, it looks kind of like a donut around. And, and so the energy comes out from the top and comes in from the bottom. And so, so it's, so, it's, so some people have sprinkles. Some people are chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, everyone had these things around them and I was like, man, this is, this is freaking unbelievable. It's like, I still haven't found my spirit guide. Yeah. <laughs> I look up. Well, I saw that thing, but I, like I didn't ask if that was my spirit guide. I think that was like a guardian angel because when I saw my spirit guide, I knew who he was. <laughs> like, You're like, oh, there like, you are. What well, did he look like? So, like, so I'll, I'll get to this. So, I looked up in the sky and I saw this big, huge rainbow ring around the sun, and all these dark clouds, like rain clouds, were gathering around on the inside of this ring, and I was like. Man, that's beautiful. I was like, that looks like that might be the portal. <laughs> you know, this beautiful ring around it. And then I see this silhouette move in front of the sun. Like, it looked like a, like a shadow, like, move in front of the sun. I was like, oh, this must be my spirit guide. I was like, well, who are you? And as soon as I said that, the sun looked like a mouth that opened up, and this black silhouette went, ah, like, got sucked up into the sun. And I was like, well, that wasn't my spirit guide. <laughs> like, that's, that's definitely not right. And then uh, I looked from the sun down inside that ring down to the bottom. The, the clouds had been forming, and it looked like there was this this guy who was looking over his shoulder at me like this. And I was like, well, who are you? And as soon as I said that to him, his hair started to grow really long and white, like so bright white that it turned like a fluorescent baby blue. Mm-hmm. And he like turns around and he's like i'm gabriel and he like lifts his arms up like this and these wings come out <laughs> all these dark clouds and he like takes off and i was like oh my gosh and like all the black clouds literally followed him and left that circle and then the sun started to open up like a mouth and i was like oh my gosh this gabriel is-, is an angel right yeah archangel gabriel archangel and uh i was like man this is intense and she said i remember hearing a well luna say that if you find a spirit animal or something um, or your spirit guide opens its mouth. It's like an invitation to go in and do it. And so I was laying on my back at this point in ceremony. And so I remember I was laying on my back and I reached up to the sun and I was able to put my hands on the inside and I like put myself up and I pushed myself up 
out of it and I was in this what looked like space like this big dark black room and I turned around and the sun was like the size of a basketball glowing right in front of me and I could see like from somebody else's point of view the shading of the sun and the blackness behind me and it was just like whoa like I could just feel the heat coming off it and I was like I wonder if I could give it a hug and I like touched it and it was like whoa and it was like just oh man this overwhelming warmth and I was like this is so beautiful I remember I started laughing like laughing hysterically <laughs> and uh, I like started to to feel weird in like the center of my back and I was like what the heck's going on here and I like stand up and and I'm sitting there I, I'm still laughing and all of a sudden like just these wings freaking break out from my back and I can see them I'm like what the hell's going on here and I was like I, I could fly right now I'm gonna fly it's like I was getting ready to take off and it was like a willow's face like appeared and it was like a flashback don't you leave the ceremony because I can't go and get you from and I was uh, like man <laughs> you're like I wanted to fly I was so bummed out and then I remember my consciousness stepped outside of myself. It was the weirdest thing. Like, like I was over here and it's like, hey, I'm going to go fly. You stay here. And I was <laughs> like, I'm so down. And I remember I was like, I was standing looking at the ground. And all of a sudden I see the ground just. I'm like, Whoa. I look up and I'm like above the clouds. And all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> just take off. And I look over to my left and there's. This guy flying with me, and he's like, you're not supposed to be here. And I look over to the other side, and there's these two guys. They're, like, freaking out that I'm up there. Wow. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like, laughing, having a blast. And then I'm sitting there, and I, I start, my body starts laughing hysterically <laughs> because I'm up there flying around, and I realize what I'm doing on the ground, which is staring at the ground like this, and my body's thirsty, and I'm like, I gotta get some water. Yeah. So I like, I'm standing and I turn towards that little house or the little casita to go in and get some, some water. And I'm walking. So you're actually moving now. Yeah. Your physical body's yeah. moving. Uh, and I'm walking around that fire pit in front of the sink. And as I get to that little thing, I grab a cup. And as I get to that little thing to make a left to go get the water from the thing, I hear this voice like, turn around. And I like, turn around and I see me flying in just and I like hit the ground and I skit and all this dirt kicks up and I hit that sink and I like stand up and I have long hair and I was fat with short hair at this time I was like 300 and something pounds and it it was like a me but like complete perfect posture completely ripped just yeah, like hey. superhero version he's wearing like this armor and this cape and I'm mm. like I'm like just blown away and he like stands up straight and these wings go and like fall into his back and he walked into me and when he did it was like <sighs> it's like immediately out of breath just right. like whoa like what the heck's going on here and uh then it was like i was completely normal like i was completely out of ceremony it was wow. the weirdest that's how you came out of ceremony yeah <laughs> it's like wow. the weirdest freaking thing <laughs> and uh one of the volunteers that was there like she was walking me to the bathroom afterwards and i was like 
It's like, you know that every single one of us here are angels, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like sitting there, I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> it's like all of us. Yeah. And she's all giggling about it. She's like, I know, I saw. <laughs> it's wow. like, oh my gosh. Awesome. Yeah, that was like insane. Like, I owe everything that I am to like the portal and the Willa Luna. That's awesome. Like, so powerful. Like, so I have a question. You said you had short hair back then. Yeah. Is that why you started growing your hair out long? Um, the, the CEO of Radio Contraband told me that I should start growing out my hair long. Oh, okay. He's like, he's like, I don't know if you know what kind of hair you got, but it's thick. And I think that if you had long hair, it would be amazing. Okay. You definitely so, look like a rock star with long hair. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Put on <laughs> a leather jacket or something. Oh, yeah. Fake leather. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that, you're wearing that leather in the, the mantra video, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was pretty much a rock star. So, that's, oh, yeah. so that was crazy. So you basically, your angel portion of you said, I'm out. Wee. Yeah, it's like, I, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I'm going <laughs> to take it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was totally fine. fine with it. But yeah, dude, like, I, the ayahuasca, um, I've done, like I said, this one will be the 32nd ceremony, and I've done four other ceremonies other than the portal. I've done one up in Kent, Washington, one in Harriman, two others in Salt Lake, and they just don't compare, like, at all. Right. And I know that it has to do with intention behind it, um... Which is, it's, it's like unfortunate because I know there's like a group of people, I'm not going to say any names or anything, but there's a group of people that are trying to bring down the portal and like irresponsibly with their ignorance and what they're saying about it being completely shallow. And it just offends me because I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a point where I don't have an agenda. I'm not making money off of the portal or ceremony or anything like that. And when I come, I'm going to speak my truth. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with the portal. It's all a reflection of whatever these individuals are saying about it. That's a reflection of themselves. Right. For instance, Abuela Luna has never once said that she is a healer. She points out, you are the healers. You take the medicine and it helps. I, I, I just hold the space. All she, she's, she just holds the space. She never claims to be a healer. Um, I've been going to ceremony for six years, and I've seen volunteers come and go and i've seen people go away and and do their own thing and deliver the medicine and stuff and well luna's always been cool with that right but there's different when you have someone who wouldn't even be on this path if it wasn't for a luna or had the opportunity to take the medicine if it wasn't for the portal mm-hmm. um and then so for to hear someone say that the portal is fake and it's all lies and the women aren't safe and all this it's just like there's an agenda there. Mm-hmm. And you, you, what I suggest is just listen to these people and take their advice. Use your eyes to see and your ears to hear, and you will immediately see that there's an irresponsible um, way that they're doing ceremony. For instance, light workers, anybody who claims to be a light worker should actually be more conscious about what they're doing, if you ask me. For instance, Anyone who claims to be a light worker and administers combo or suggests combo to anybody else or bufo or any other frog medicine. It's not medicine. It's poison. It's toxin. Mm. Bufo is the, the poison from the, the poisonous frog. Combo and bufo. There, there's, there's different 
way there's there's a lot of different medicines or what they call medicines but it's all fear-based being a light worker someone who's conscious should be able to see hey that is a sentient being knowing that we're all connected especially if you've gone to ayahuasca ceremony you've gotten to the point where you can see the sacred geometry and the life force connecting every living being Mm. i've seen this and i've had the opportunity to go to combo ceremonies and ayahuasca came to me Right before I was about to go to an ayahuasca ceremony, in my medicine, she said, this is an innocent, sentient being that uses this as a fight-or-flight response. It's something that is produced out of fear to defend itself from its predators. So for someone to be like, oh, God put those here for us to get in contact with spirit, that's a bunch of bullshit. Because Put, put what? Frogs. Okay, The bufo it. combo, whatever. That's like the most ignorant thing that I've ever heard because ayahuasca told me in ceremony that the plant medicines are here for that. Peyote, ayahuasca, psilocybin, and cannabis. The main ones are psilocybin, peyote, and ayahuasca. Right. Um, What's a peyote again? It's a. It's like yeah, like the cactus. There's like there's also San Pedro and stuff, but the main ones is peyote, ayahuasca, and and psilocybin from a cactus. Yeah, it's like a little button, little cactus button, Mm. Um, and. those are here for us to get in contact with spirit. So that's like me saying, oh, well, um, yeah, those frogs are put here. You, you take this substance from them that's produced out of fear and you get in contact with spirit. Well, that's like saying, hey, did you know that the adrenaline gland of a human body produces a substance called adrenochrome? And then if you actually take it, you go into vision. Really? Yeah. There's, wow. it's on, have you seen the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Uh, a long time ago, yeah. So there's a part in there where he gives... Johnny Depp adrenochrome and, that's and, and naturally producing our and bodies in the movie Johnny Depp says I heard there's only one way for you to get this and that's through the extraction from a live human body wow and it's like yeah and the only way to take that it, it kills the person it's their adrenal it's their adrenaline gland <laughs> so when you're striking fear into this person and you're taking this adrenaline gland out of a human being and killing them is, are we put here for humans to get in contact with gods for them sucking on our adrenaline glands? Probably not. No. no. Neither are these frogs that are in the forest or in the rainforest. They're not like, hey, I was put here. I'm going to hop on your shoulder and let's let's get out of here. You know? <laughs> you know? And then I hear people yeah. like, well, there's there's nice ways to do it. And it's like, there's nice ways to, to scaring a frog. And he's like, yeah, well, they massage it underneath its tummy. And it's like... You're making it uncomfortable. It's starting to produce the toxin right. to shoot it at you so, so that, it can get away. That's what combo is. That's yeah. the process of combo? Yeah. Okay. And so anywhere you look it up on Google, never refers to it as a medicine. It's a poison. It's a toxin. And on Google, it says that if you take this medicine, if, if, you, if you experience visuals or you're really into it for more than an hour and a half, you need to seek immediate medical attention because you're going to die. Mm. So this group of people that claim to be responsible light workers are going to Mount Shasta with combo and administering combo right before ayahuasca ceremony. Mm. And combo's the the poison from the frog. Yeah. Okay. And it's just like there's a lot of stuff that was said about the portal that's just like I I'm a representative of the portal. I don't have anything to gain. I'm not making money from this. I'm not um there's nothing that I have to say. You know, like, yeah. like, like, like that, that is going to promote my agenda or anything. Right. Um, all, um, when it, when it boils down to it, 
whenever anyone is saying something out of spite towards someone else, it's a, it's a complete reflection of themselves. Right. And so when you're using your eyes to see and your ears to hear and you see someone like this saying that, I don't know if it's about power or ego or money, and they're not looking at you in the eye, they're looking off trying to find something that they could say to convince you, that's a reflection of themselves. They're saying, well, for me it's about ego, money, and power. They're, this is not speaking your truth. This is defending yourself. And if it's not about ego... It's not about ego. You don't pound your chest right. and say, oh, it's about me. And I'm going to send Awella Luna away from the astral plane where she's doing her healing work because that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Awella Luna has not only blessed my life, but she's been doing ceremony for 10 years. And she's blessed the lives of thousands of people. Right. So when I, when I hear someone like that say like that it's all a lie, it's all fake, and it's... There's no, you're not safe at the portal. It's just like, it's hard not to get upset, but I always got to remember that as a light worker, you got to come from a place of forgiveness and be like, I just need to understand this person. But then when you dive into it, you start to see that they have their own agenda, which is reaching out to the people from the portal, slandering its name and trying to get business from it. Right. So there's several people that I've taken to the portal within the last three years there's a woman that is with this group that has reached out to all of them and said, you need to stop going to the portal with a well Luna because she's got a lot of ego right now. Mm-hmm. You need to come to these ceremonies. And it's like every single one of them has reached out to me because I took them to the portal for the first time. They're like, what's going on with the portal? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard anything. Yeah. For four months, I didn't hear anything. Right. And then I was like, well, what the hell is going on at the portal? Because I hear the, the medicine's being called different names and it's all about ego and there's no women are safe there. What the hell's going on? So like normal over the last six years, when people talk, the best thing to do is to use your own better judgment and your own discernment, go to the portal and learn for yourself. Right. Oh, this is nothing but pure love and compassion for our healing process. Right. There's no like, oh, you need to come with me because I know how to do this better and blah, 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 and whatever it is. Like, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's offensive to me, right. <laughs> is what I'm getting at. But, but you, you've already had six years of experience where it's changed your life. And oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's changed many other and, people's lives. And, and I've been there, and I had a great experience there. So The ones that I did elsewhere were all done at night, and... The energy behind it, it's like you see different people do different things. Awella Luna is there for you. She has no personal agenda, no gain, no nothing. Mm -hmm. She is there to facilitate a healing space, which is a true blessing. So when I hear someone slander that name, it's just like completely ignorant. It's like you wouldn't even be anything if it wasn't for her in the first place yeah. so. <laughs> so so the way i look at it with um this is when every every time something um is going to make a huge change or go against the grain there's always going to be adversities naysayers oh, yeah. 
It's always going to be like that, right? But the way I also look at it, it's not even about who is doing the ceremony. It's more about the medicine, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like churches, right? So, like, there's it, many churches it, and there's many is, different but, pastors. But where, where this is, like, Oklahoma Native American Church, the, the code of ethics is, like, when someone's in the medicine, you don't talk to them. You don't make eye contact. That's why when you're a volunteer at the portal, right. Abuela Luna tells you, don't look them in the eye. No matter what you do, do not look them in the eye. Okay. Because you give your energy to them, and they can bleed stuff onto you. Mm. And so other people do it way differently. Okay. So you have to be careful. I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, you know, don't go do ceremony with these people, don't go do the ceremony with these people. I'm coming from a place of experience saying I've done it for other places other than the portal. And the way that it's done at the portal is the most authentic, most respectful way that I've ever seen anybody handle the medicine. Mm-hmm. It's coming from a place of pure love and so the whole misconception of people saying that oh she's got ego and and she's saying calling the ayahuasca a different name it's like if you actually just listen to what she says you'll understand that it makes complete sense she said that last time i was there last month she said that in one of her uh, ceremonies the medicine came to her and said i greatly appreciate you calling me ayahuasca but it's not just the ayahuasca vine. It's the chacruna leaf, too. And you guys don't give that any credit. Yeah. So I, I heard that ayahuasca um, is basically, is it like DMT, right? No. So ayahuasca is the MAO inhibitor. The chacruna oh, leaf. Oh, that's the one that makes it last a very long yeah, time, right? Yeah. So it, it makes it so your body absorbs it more and allows the DMT to, to, yeah. to have the effect that it does. So the DMT comes from the other plant. The chacruna leaf. Okay. Your dad yeah. gives you the vision, right? Chacruna? The chacruna, yeah. Right. So... In this ceremony, the plant said, could you please stop calling me Ayahuasca? Call me Aya Kruna. It's just mm. taking both names and saying Aya Kruna. And where there's 42 names that, uh, for Ayahuasca already, calling it Aya Kruna, which is something more respectful, especially if the plant medicine's like, hey, could you please start pronouncing me this in your ceremonies? Yeah, I, I agree with you, though, because it, I watched a documentary that said how they make the, not even Ayahuasca, I don't know where Ayahuasca the became brew, the yeah. dominant, the brew, right? They said the ayahuasca needs the other part of the plant or it doesn't have the same thing. Like oh, yeah. it, It's like water. The, what is it? Chacruna? Yeah, the chacruna, and the water, and the ayahuasca yeah. vine. So that's yeah. the crazy thing is there's, there's so many millions of different plant species in the Amazon. And somehow a vine and a leaf, somehow they were thought to put these two specific ones... <laughs> And blend them up together, crunch them yeah. with sticks, and boil it into a brew. I mean, the chances of this happening are so ridiculously slim that, like, the only way that it could possibly happen is if, you know, people communicate with plants, which is what this doctor yeah. talked about. I believe people in, in thousands of years ago or the, our ancestors that use this as a medicine, they were more connected oh, yeah. to Mother Nature, to the earth. So this, they could literally, like you said, maybe even talk to it. Not like physically talking well, to Well, my him. buddy AJ told me about this book that he read about a doctor who who had heard about ayahuasca. He never even went to the Amazon to discover. He was doing other research. He went and he got lost and found this tribe. And he this woman like came up and said, I could tell you everything about your life. And, and uh, the guy was like, I don't believe anything. He's like a Harvard professor and like right. a doctor. And she pulls the roots up out of the of this little plant puts the roots in his hand has him hold it for a little bit 
then she grabs the plant and the roots and tells him his entire life story. That's like crazy. things that she, that he would that she would never know. That's awesome. And he's like, "How did you how did you know that?" And she's like, "Well, believe it or not, we still pass along the tradition of, of what we used to do thousands of years ago. We communicate with the plants. This is how we this is how we discovered ayahuasca." Yeah. And so they took him to this village and he did ayahuasca like I don't know how many times, 30-something times. Jeez. <laughs> like, he spent some time there. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, when my buddy was telling me this, he's like, this guy, like, went from being a strict science professor, non-believer in God, to being completely open to spirituality and right. plant medicine and just everything because of this one experience. And that's what people... Yeah, so I'm a very commonsensical person, right? Western medicine has been around what? 50, 60, 70, 100 years maybe, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Plant medicine has been around thousands, millions of years, right? Oh, yeah. So how can we say that the stuff that's been around, you know, way longer than Western, nothing against Western medicine. I mean, I, I prefer holistic. Oh, yeah. There's a place for Western medicine. Like if I break my leg, oh, yeah. I don't want to rub a plant on it and hope it gets better you know what i mean <laughs> I want, surgery. yeah i want some surgery yeah, yeah. or a cast right but when it comes to like healing in your body and, and 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 connection and i believe there's a lot more to do with what the plants and the ancients used to do than than modern Does oh that yeah make sense? oh yeah it just makes sure. common sense like you know like for before sure. they had this what did people do you know like yeah they, uh, yeah, they go out in nature and yeah. get plants and and speaking yeah. of what you were saying about the the roots right so i i have a um uh acupuncture healer who was trained in in china and in france oh no way yeah and he makes these special herbal teas that i don't know what the heck he puts in it but they heal like well he he says we don't heal he says, we help your body release the chi, and then your body heals itself. Yeah. So this is what Eastern medicine believes, right? They believe if they can find the issue soon, like early, they can cure it. Or they can, your body can cure itself. If it's in the middle, like you take the, like you, do, you took a long time, they can, your body can cure itself, but it's going to take a while. If it's too late, like you've had this issue for a long, long time, they, they can't cure it, but they can make you live like a normal life, right? So I had major car accidents too i have l4 l5 herniated disc whiplash in my neck my neck is almost straight your neck is supposed to be curved my neck's almost like this right no way yeah so i have like nerve damage in my like my eye i had issues with my eye sometimes so bottom line i was like in my late 20s early 30s i felt like i was 80 like it, it took me a while to get out of bed i'd have to like hold on to something like i'm literally i'm like in my 20s right and i, I remember having to get out of bed and hold on to a chair Cause my back would literally be like fused when it wouldn't move, you know, and I was always miserable in pain. And I remember my mom, uh, she had really bad anemia. Her iron counts were down to five. And, uh, she asked the doctor, she goes, look, and the, you know, Western medicine was pumping her with pills, giving her constipation, like iron pills, just messing her up even more. And she was like pale. She had no energy. She's like, I can't live like this. Like, oh, yeah. she's like, I need something. She's like, <laughs> my mom's funny because the doctor was Asian. She's like, you're Asian. Don't you know something different? Right. <laughs> but, you know, not like not like in a but I guess just my mom. She's straight up. Right. And uh, she's like, well, I know this uh, this acupuncture guy. Give him a call. He might be able to help you. Right. So he made these special herbal teas and my mom drank them. Two months later, my mom's iron counts went from single digits to 50 and then 60. And the doctors were like, what are you doing? Like, 
how is this doing this right and it was just herbal teas so my mom's like why don't you try him right and i'm like i'll try anything you know and uh so i went with him and it's funny so remember how you said the lady put the the plants in his hand yeah so he just went like this he took my pulse and he said stick your tongue out and he said you have this you have this you have this you have this and no one had ever told him and i was like how did you know that right he could tell from my circulation and from the color of my tongue what ailments i had right no so, way yeah so he's like you know what i'm gonna give you these teas they're gonna taste bad but they're gonna be good for you and you're gonna feel like he said little vibrations in every area of your injured so i had an injury in my my wrist i had injuries in my back three weeks late two weeks later i started feeling like little vibrations like a little buzz inside of it he's like that's the tea unblocking your cheek and then no way yeah, and then a, two months later my pain has gone 95 percent I am like a new person. Like I'm able to work out again. Like I'm able to like not wake up in a bad mood. And that's lasted literally probably the last 13 years or probably no 12 way. to 13 years. Yeah. To this day, like <laughs> yeah, because of that's because insanity. of some tea, because some herbs that he put in, <laughs> he cooked up. Thank you for tuning in. That was the end of part one. Part two comes out next Monday, 9 a.m. Please stay tuned. Make sure you like and subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so that YouTube will let you know when the next one comes out. 